1: News radio studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmead.
2: Yes, I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmead. Hope you are having a wonderful day today. Uh, I'd like to welcome some new stations to the Brian Kilmead family, WPNO. 1450 in South Plains, excuse me, South Paris, Maine, and WEZR 780 a.m. in Rumford, Maine, the Patriot Oxford County's talk station. Welcome to the family. Great to have you. Let's start this hour off right, shall we? Let's start it off talking about some midterm elections with Tom Bevan, the co-founder and president of RealClearPolitics.com. Tom, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi.
3: Hi, Mary. Great to be with you.
2: Good. Always good to get to talk to you. There is so much going on. I have to tell you, before we get into this, I am absolutely shocked that some of these races are so close, as close as they are. Um, you've got Rasmussen in their latest poll saying that in a generic ballot, just a generic ballot, that Republicans lead by one point. How bad do Democrats have to actually do for people to go, oh, yeah, maybe that's not a good idea? <laughs>
3: Well, I mean, that's just one poll, but that is about where our RealClearPolitics politics averages. You've got a pollster like uh, Trafalgar has the GOP plus five in the generic ballot, and you've got other pollsters showing the Democrats with a lead uh, in the generic ballot. And that's really the only way. We don't have any polling in, in these individual House raises. So it's the best you know approximation that we can get as to which way the electorate is leaning overall when evaluating some of these, uh, you know, these House races that are out there. One thing I would say, though, about the generic ballot is that is a national number. And so Democrats tend to overperform on that question because they're not they're they're not evenly distributed geographically around the country. They're clustered in these urban areas. And so when you think about swing districts, when you think about, you know, real purple districts in suburban centers around the country, which is where a lot of these races are in Atlanta, in Milwaukee, in Phoenix, uh, you know, in Southern California. um, The Democrats are probably not doing as well as that generic ballot number just because um, they're not as uh, they're not as evenly distributed geographically as the GOP is.
2: Gotcha. So if for Republicans to perform better because I think the, the view is people don't look at it as as um, into it in depth as you do, right? Like you just explained to us, most people just look at it the way I do and said, oh, wow, how can Republicans possibly be doing so horribly? How bad do Democrats have to be? Is, is the Republican problem the candidates they're putting up or the messaging?
3: Um, it depends on the race, you know, but look, generally speaking – there's been a lot of talk of this election about how Democrats have sort of surged and the Dobbs decision and all of that. And I think there is evidence that, that the Dobbs decision helped energize Democrats that were otherwise sort of feeling a little bit lackluster about their party, their president, uh, the way things have been going. But, I mean, if you step back and look at the overall view here, the fundamentals from a historical standpoint, from an economic standpoint, from... You know, any metric you choose to look at, presidential job approval, direction of the country, they all favor the Republican Party. Um, On the issues that folks care about, the economy, inflation, I mean, it's pretty clear those are the issues, the top issues on the minds of of the majority of Americans. Republicans have advantages on those issues by anywhere from, you know, 5 to 25 points. So I think fundamentally the Republicans are in a good place. Um, Are there certain candidates they've nominated who are who are maybe below average and are going to have trouble getting across the finish line? Sure. I mean, that happens every single election. But um, I don't think it's a situation where, uh, you know, Republicans have necessarily a bad message. I think their message is is where the American the majority of the American people are Um, and they don't necessarily have bad candidates. I mean, if you look around the country, particularly in these Senate races, um, you know, it's been it's been portrayed as if they're all disasters everywhere. And that's not necessarily the case.
2: So the, the Democrats scheme to fund uh, candidates, Republican candidates, whom they saw as quote unquote extreme, right? MAGA Republicans, which to them is just the worst thing in the whole world. Will we see that backfire on them?
3: We might see that backfire on them in certain places. Um, You know, in a place here in Illinois, for example, in the governor's race, uh, they engineered the Democrats, J.B. Pritzker, and the Democrats spent a lot of money to get Darren Bailey as the nominee. And that seems to be working out in their favor um, in a place like, uh, let's say, uh, you know, Pennsylvania, Mastriano. He seems to be running behind Shapiro. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it might it might work out for them in that race uh, as well. But in other places, uh, you know, perhaps not. And keep an eye on a place like Minnesota, the Minnesota governor's race there. Uh, keep an eye on some of these other races where, you know, Democrats could be in a situation where it, it's a, you know, careful what you wish for type of situation.
2: Right. Yeah, I would love I would obviously love to see that happen when we talk about Pennsylvania, because, you know, we've got the uh, the race between Oz and Fetterman and that being so close, which is just absolutely astounding to me. Uh and, and you talk about the governor's race there as well with, with Mastriano is part of it with the problem with Pennsylvania. Are, are we going to see happen in Pennsylvania? How much of this is it that, you know, people are moving out of New York to New Jersey, they turn New Jersey blue, then they move out of New Jersey into Pennsylvania and then they're starting to turn Pennsylvania blue. Is that part of what is happening here when it comes to those Pennsylvania races?
3: Yeah, I don't know that that's the demographic shift in Pennsylvania is, is as much. I mean, look, it's always been, it has been for a long time a place where there are more registered Democrats than, than Republicans. Um, and it's one of those states as, as uh, you know, there are plenty of states that have this example. We've got, you know, the sort of liberal urban center in Philadelphia um, with the surrounding suburbs. And then you've got sort of the rural, um, <clears throat> you know, parts of the state. That in the, in the center part of the state that vote heavily Republican and have moved heavily Republican, particularly during the Donald Trump era, I think the problem for Republicans of Pennsylvania is they just had a they had a really nasty primary and you basically got sort of a, a split decision where you know the the MAGA movement got the candidate they wanted for governor didn't get the candidate they wanted for Senate despite the fact that Donald Trump endorsed that candidate. And I'm talking about Mehmet Oz here, um, and I think he's had. A real, you know, difficult time trying to energize those Republicans who who um, you know weren't for him in the primary, and and I think vice versa. I mean, I think Mastriano's having trouble, you know, winning over some of those moderate Republicans in the suburbs that um, that are probably going to vote for Oz. So it's a it's a tricky situation. You feel I mean, Pennsylvania is sort of unique in that sense. This cycle that they, have um, the way the state is is. Laid out and and the way the primary went, it's just making it very tough for, for either one of these candidates. If they could form one candidate um, and run as like a, a unica <laughs> uni candidate, they they do really really well. But that's not where the Republicans are.
2: Yeah, no, that that is not where they are. I just quickly wanted to um, go to cut four here, Eric. I, I wanted you to hear this. This is Van Jones on HBO. He was um, on Real Time, and this is what he said about the Democrat Party.
4: This issue around the gender binary has, has, has taken up way too much space uh, in the public conversation. Uh, I think that people are weary of it. I think that people having to put the she's and the this and that and the pronouns on their, their Zoom, all of that stuff starts to send a signal, I think, to working class voters that, that these people are not concerned about the things that affect me every day. They're not <laughs> concerned about inflation. They're not concerned about... Which is not to say you can't be, care about everybody, but there's something that's out of balance. And so I think that when we start sending the cultural signal that we're more concerned about the, the, the pronoun you put on your Zoom call than we are concerned about the fact that you don't have a house or a job, I think the party's off track.
2: Is the party off track?
3: 100% right. I mean... And Van Jones is one of the rare Democrats who, will, who will, you know, actually sort of speak truth to power about some of these issues. And and I think that's exactly right. Um, there is, we have, and we see this in the in the polls. It's very, very clear that, as I mentioned, economy, inflation, gas prices, jobs, all of those are top issues among a majority of Republican voters and a majority of independent voters. And for Democrats. They fall somewhere below, uh, you know, uh, abortion, sometimes gun control, sometimes January 6th. So Democrats just don't have the same – their priorities are not in sync and in line with not just where Republicans are, because Republicans and Democrats, you know, the parties often differ on their priorities, but with where independent voters are. And I think that's the key, because to the extent that Democrats are focused on – issues like abortion. I mean, they have made their entire campaign, every every uh, ad that's running out there now across America for, for Democrats is focused on the issue of abortion. Now, that, that does do one thing that you need to do, which it motivates their base, and that's important in a, in a midterm election. But what it's not doing is it's not reaching out and reaching over to less partisan voters, moderate voters who whose main concern is not abortion. It is the economy. And so in that sense, they're coming off sort of out of touch to those folks. And I think, I think they're going to pay a political price for that in the end because you, need, you obviously need to motivate your base, but you can't win a midterm election without winning some of these swing voters. And right now these swing voters are leaning Republican.
2: Which brings me... To this. Um, uh, let's go to cut eight, Eric. This is Dick Morris on the Cats Roundtable, uh, which is a radio show. And he, listen to what he had to say about Hillary Clinton coming out and Hillary Clinton criticizing the Biden administration on what's happening at the border.
5: Hillary, a week ago, a week before, said Americans do not believe in open borders. And these are all signals that she's going to be the moderate candidate for president. She's going to say after the election, see, the left cost us the House and the Senate. And if we stay with the left wing candidate in 24, we're going to lose the White House. And I'm the only one who will check to the center and give us a chance at
2: victory. Wow. Hillary again.
3: I, you know, I'm I'm not buying that necessarily. I mean, I listen, I think the critique is is not necessarily off the mark. I mean, there are certain elements of the Democratic Party who, who are concerned about, you know, the way the administration has handled the border and has handled some of these other issues and has, you know, really sort of, I think, fallen out of touch with working class, which used to be the base of the Democratic Party, quite frankly, but is no yeah. longer, the, that, that is no longer the case. But, I mean, it's a stretch to me that, that Hillary is going to run again. She said that she's never running for president again. I think the Clintons are... are over as a political force in this country um and and so i think that might be you know but for dick morris it gets headlines and gets people talking about him and his analysis and that sort of thing so um but i just don't see it i don't see it happening
2: Yeah. So look into your crystal ball before we run out of time here. Look into your crystal ball for me Uh, after the election. First of all, are we going to know the results right away or are the races so close as we're going to have another replay like we seem to have every election Mm -hmm. cycle now where we won't know for possibly over a week?
3: That is a great question, Mary. I think there might be the case that we have a couple of Senate races that are so close they're going to go to recounts. I'm thinking Georgia in particular. Um, but, but could be in other states as well. And so that could, and the balance of power of the Senate could hang in the balance for, uh, we may not know that the morning after election. I think the House will know.
2: And how many, what you, do you, how many do you think the Republican, how many seats do Republicans pick up in the House?
3: Uh, we're looking at a, a, an average gain in our projections of, a, of still about Republicans plus 20.
6: Okay. So, no, I mean, the
3: range is, is pretty dramatic, though. It can go from five to about 35, but I think... Average gain is still, Republicans, about 20.
2: Okay, good. That sounds good. And the big question everyone wants to know is the Senate. Do Republicans wind up taking the Senate?
3: We project they will pick up the Senate by one or two t- Senate seats um, right now. But, again, still got, what, thirty-five about five weeks to Election Day. Um, so there's a – and and as you mentioned, some of these races are close – Republicans have enjoyed a, a slight uptick in some of the recent polls, and as you mentioned, the Pennsylvania race has gotten close. So um, that that is subject to change, but that's where we stand right now.
2: It's so exciting, and very, I'll tell you, by the time the election hits, I can't speak for you, but I need like a month off <laughs> just, <laughs> just 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 to recover from it all. My brain hurts, my stomach hurts at the end of it. Oh, it's unbelievable, Tom Bevin co-founder and president of RealClearPolitics.com. Follow him on Twitter at RCP. Thank you very much for joining me. Appreciate it. You're
3: very welcome. Thank you.
2: 866-408-7669 is my number. I see some people already on the line want to chime in here. 866-408-7669 if you'd like to comment on what Tom just had to say. I will get to your calls next on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
1: The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
2: And I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade today. 866-408-7669 is my number. We were just speaking with Tom Bevin, who uh, is the found, co-founder and president of Real Clear Politics. And we were talking about the midterms and, and the polls. The polls, the polls, the polls. And, uh, and um I think they're from all over. But but I want to ask you, do you believe the polls anymore? I, I mean, ever since 2016, the 2016 election, how they got it so wrong with Trump, so wrong. And, and I'm just curious if anybody believes them anymore. And they, I also want to know if you've ever gotten the phone call about a poll. I'm just curious. Let's go uh, to William listening on WTRC in South Bend, Indiana. William, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hello.
5: Good, good morning, Mary. Thank you for taking my call. I've, uh, oh, it's always a pleasure talking to you. I've spoken with you a few different times. Oh, thank um, you. But when it, when it comes to the polls, absolutely not. I don't believe it at all. I think it's a hoax. I think it is really designed um, to try and get people to believe that it's already done. And I think it's ran by the far left more. And I know they're supposed to be independents and so forth, but I've listened to Hannity, I don't know, a week or so ago, and he was talking about, I think it's, I think there's a summit um, type, or I think that's the name of it, that actually is the polling uh, uh, company as well. And, They were talking about, before the Biden and and Trump election, that, uh, and again, I believe it was Summit. I may be wrong with the name, but anyhow, they were saying that, oh, my goodness, Biden was so far ahead, you know what, it's a no-win situation for him, might as well just hang it up. And so then, three days later after the election, they came out and they, they said, oh, all of our forecasting was completely wrong, we were so off base, And Hannity was like, you know what? I had no idea and he felt he said I could have done so much more with getting people on that would be talking on behalf of the Republicans and, you know, trying to get people to go out and vote. And I really think that it's part of their scenario, just like everything else that they try to do, spin stuff around. And I really believe it is to intended to tell people it's a lost cause. So might as well not even go out and do it.
2: Interesting. Yeah, I, I think I think other people feel the same way you do. I don't I don't think you're alone in that feeling. And but but my thing is, and we, we got to run here. But thank you so much. I, I really appreciate speaking with you. Uh, here's the thing. If they're telling me, oh, it's a lost cause. I'm not going to just not go vote. For me, I have that opposite reaction. I'm the one who's like, yeah, we got to get out and vote. We got to get out and vote. We can turn this around if we get out and vote. So I I guess it's sad that people just sit home. Like, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked at that. And maybe that is what it is all about. I'm Mary Walter, and I've got more coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. What's your view of whether he'll run again?
2: With the caveat that I don't know and that I could be pre- proven wrong, I think he's backed himself into a corner where he has to run. I think that he needs the protections that running for president he thinks would afford him in combating investigations that he calls a witch hunt. And it is the way that he fundraises and makes money. So much of his identity now is about being a politician. So I expect that he will run. That doesn't mean that even if he declares a candidacy that he will stay in. So that was Maggie Haberman on, she's a New York Times correspondent on uh, CBS, talking about, obviously, uh, President Trump, Donald Trump, and whether he'll run again. At the same time, I was just listening to – I forgot the show that I was listening to, but they were talking about how approval of Trump, uh, people who want to see him run again, has dropped significantly. It's about 20% drop. Uh, so, So that's a lot. You know, as the further away we get from his presidency, the less people want him to run. I think the constant the Democrats never ever ever gave up on just trying to destroy him and his family he 's still having his his rallies. he had one saturday he 's still out there still stumping, still doing the same, but it 's the same thing over and over right it 's the same thing uh, so So I look at that and I also look at uh, Joe Biden and what a wonderful week Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have had. And then we were just speaking with Tom Bevan from Real Clear Politics, and um, we were discussing how Hillary Clinton is coming out now, and she's talking about the border, and she's kind of dinging Joe Biden, because I think we all know Joe Biden's not running, right? Like, he can't, and Kamala Harris is a train wreck, but I thought Joe Biden was a train wreck, and look who's sitting in the Oval Office, so what do I know? Do we see a Trump-Hillary matchup again? And if we do, I, I got to tell you, I don't know if the outcome is the same. Because I think that Democrats would rally behind Hillary as distasteful as they find her. She's gotten away with everything. She's never gone to jail. She's never you know paid the price for what we know she did. She was given, you know, she was let off the hook. We know that. I just don't know if the Republicans would get energized enough about Trump to put him over the edge to keep Hillary out of the Oval Office. Eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. So uh, comment on that, that, because this is kind of two-pronged. The other part that comes into this is the censorship, the social media censorship, and and how our mainstream media censors things and runs with leaks, and they're totally in the tank for the Democrats. We all know that. Even the left knows that, and they don't care. They're super happy and super proud about it. And I, I found a story about... Regarding censorship from the federal government, because, you know, you're not they're not allowed to do that, but they found ways to get around it. And this is how it affects the outcome of elections, which is why I say if there were a hypothetical Trump-Hillary matchup in 2024, I wonder if Hillary would absolutely win with the help of this. A group of uh, a consortium of four private groups worked with the Department of Homeland Security and the state department to censor massive numbers of social media posts. They considered misinformation during the 2020 election. And I believe this comes out of, uh, Epic times here. I have to check. Um, I will check it and let you know where, where I got this from. Uh, let's see. Uh, Oh, excuse me. Just the news. This came from just the news. So the, Their members, the members of these consortiums then were rewarded with millions of federal dollars from the Biden administration afterwards according to interviews and documents that were obtained by Just the News. Now, the four-member organizations in this consortium are the Stanford Internet Observatory, the University of Washington Center for an Informed Public, the Atlantic Council's Digital Forensic Research Lab, and social media analytics firm, Graphica. And they set up a concierge-like service in 2020. And the service would allow federal agencies, like Homeland Security's Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, I didn't even know they had one of those and, uh, state's global engagement center to file tickets. And what they do is, so they go to this consortium and they file a complaint ticket. All right. And they request that an online story, story links, online story links, and social media posts be centered or flagged by big tech. So they say, oh, you know, this is dangerous. We need you to look into this to keep the Internet safe for everyone because there's misinformation out there. And so they would go through and they would pick the stories and the posts that they felt were disinformation. And then since they can't censor it, the federal government can't censor you they can get someone else to do it for them and that's the sort that the middleman was who the, is this consortium that provides that service to the federal government and then after the election once the government got the outcome that they wanted they rewarded these groups with millions and millions of federal tax dollars uh for various you know projects etc. and so forth you know pork now the Democrat National Committee, Common Cause, and the NAACP were also empowered, like federal agencies, to file tickets seeking censorship. So it wasn't just the federal government that did it, but they uh, they gave the DNC, Common Cause, and the NAACP were given access to this consortium as well to say, oh, this is disinformation, this is dangerous. So the Democrat National Party was given a... With the approval of the federal government, censorship ability over social media for posts they didn't like. When you put that into the the brew, when you put that into the brew, you kind of understand why Donald Trump lost with help from friends, right? So if they play the same thing in 2024, can Republicans ever win another election when the federal government, the deep swamp, and the Democrats are given power to censor free speech and the federal government condones it? Now, Republicans, um, and I'll go into this a little bit more, but Republicans, of course, are going to look into this and they're going to get to the bottom of it, blah, blah, blah. And I have zero hope of anything ever happening. And if it's disbanded, this is going to crop up somewhere else under another name and it's going to have the same purpose and the same dirty hands will be in the pot because no one will be punished for, for violating people's right to free speech. No one will be punished. Everyone's going to walk away with their pensions and their life won't change. They're going to be richer for it and they're going to do it again. And Republicans are going to sit there and be shocked that it's happening again. 866-408-7669 866 is the number. So, now the, the, this consortium of these four groups um, had an after-action report on the 2020 election. And in that report, they boasted that they flagged more than 4,800 URLs that, uh, that shared, uh, shared nearly 22 million times on Twitter alone. So posts that were shared on Twitter alone, 22 million times were flagged. Um, they flagged them for social media platforms to take them down. So look at what a great job we did. We got these ticket reports, wink, wink, nod, nod, from people who are concerned about, you know, misinformation, wink, wink, nod, nod. And we flagged 22 million of them. We scanned all these groups, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of them. And we let them know that these things need to be flagged or censored, that we gave them a heads up. And of course... You know, Twitter 22 million times this 4,800 URLs shared. The staff worked 12 to 20 hour shifts from September through mid-November 2020 with, quote, monitoring intensifying significantly the week before and after Election Day. So can Republicans ever win another election? 866 408 More coming up. on on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: I'm Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade. Uh, we were talking earlier with uh, Tom Bevan and we played a clip for him from Van Jones. He was on uh, real time on HBO. And with Bill Maher and, you know, he's a CNN political commentator. And he's one of the few who will actually say, you know, hey, Democrats are screwing up here or there. And one of the things he said was that the Democrats are off track and they're sending a a signal that they care more about their pronouns than what impacts people every day. Because what impacts the people outside of Washington, D.C. is far different than what what impacts people inside Washington, D.C., you know, most people don't care about making sure that they tell you their their pronoun. Is there a large group of them? Yes, there's a frightening amount of people who do care about that, and that's the most important thing in their day. But for other people, the most important thing in their day is, hmm, do I have enough food to turn the heat on because it's ridiculously cold out? That type of thing, you know? So there's a story About You may have heard the name Tony Blevins. I've heard it. He's a top executive, and he's one of only 30 employees who reports directly to the Apple CEO, Tim Cook. Now, he's the VP of procurement for Apple, and he was at a California car show in August when a TikToker came up to him. The TikToker's name is... Daniel Mack, and he's known for asking, he goes up to people who are in really nice cars, and he asks them what they do for a living. And Bevin's just happened to be sitting in this very nice car with a pretty woman next to him, and he asked him what he does for a living. Here is Tony Blevins' response. I race oh, cars,
3: play golf, and fondle big-breasted women. <laughs> <laughs> but I take weekends and major holidays off.
2: Now, the woman who was with it was not offended; she laughed, um, and the video goes viral Now, what he said there was a cut from the movie arthur okay so it was is from the movie Arthur, and if you never saw which I have to make a confession here. I've seen bits and pieces of Arthur, but I've never seen the movie in its entirety. So I did not know that clip. So if you are like me, here you go. Here's Arthur.
5: What do you do for a living?
8: I race cars. I play tennis. I fund all women. But I have weekends
5: off.
2: <laughs> all right. So, okay. So the way I see it, he's he's joking around. What do you do? Ah, uh, this is what I do. Well, the clip goes viral and it comes to the attention of his bosses. So what happens? They launch an internal investigation into the matter. He's making a joke. Listen, I I, see because I don't demonize people for being successful. I don't demonize people for what they have for their money. As long as you got it legally, God bless you. I hope to be you, right? Don't we all? So, I don't demonize people for that, but I guess nowadays you're not allowed to be successful. That's a bad thing. So, Apple launches an internal investigation into this poor man. And they, (laughs) so he's been with the company for 22 years, and now he's out. He's out. Because he quoted Arthur. So I I guess the message from Apple is, well, you, you know, yes, we're going to make you successful. And, and, you know, we're going to, we're proud of, we're built this company from the ground up. Look what we did, but we're going to fire you for quoting a movie as a joke. It's insane. It's just, it's, it's a harmless pop cultural reference. Uh, According <laughs> according to his um, Wall Street Journal profile, when he joined the company in 2020, everybody wanted to know what, who he was. And he said he will quote stop a little to get a, to get a favor to get a favorable deal. He will stop. Excuse me. He will stop at little to get a favorable deal. He has paraded manufacturers, past competitors, in Apple's lobby, and spurned a UPS contract by sending it back to UPS executives through FedEx. And that what that's what makes him. A great CEO. Clearly, the man has a sense of humor. So, um, yeah. So he was being playful, but the cultural overlords have made it shameful to be successful. Unless, of course, you're Hunter Biden, in which case you go be successful, buddy, and it doesn't matter how you got your money. We don't care. We're not even going to look into that. They're, they're, they're against you being successful unless you're a member of Congress and you, you know, you've got the inside track on you know certain things that are going to happen. Bills are going to be passed, etc. And then it's okay if you happen to use your inside knowledge in order to make some good trade stocks like Nancy Pelosi. Do you see the hypocrisy there? You know, this is Apple TV's Plus, um, where they interview, Hillary Clinton interviews Megan Thee Stallion. And, you know, we all know Megan Thee Stallion and her um, video and her song, WAP, you know, and how that went viral. But they're they're okay with that. But this guy making a joke is not okay. And speaking of the insider stock trading, alleged insider stock trading, we have no proof that anyone's actually done it, Mm -hmm. but... They all get crazy rich when they get into Congress and they, they've they suddenly become experts at working the market. This goes back to what Van Jones was saying about how the Democrats are off track. And you've got Hillary Clinton calling out Joe Biden on the border. Well, now you've got Abigail, Abigail Spanberger calling out Nancy Pelosi because Tuesday... Zoe Lofgren, who's out of California, introduced the Combating Financial Conflicts of Interest in Government Act. I'm sure there's some fun acronym for that. Uh, And that would prohibit senior government officials and their families from trading stocks. Okay, Because Pelosi told told them, you have to craft this legislation because Pelosi got caught with her hand in the cookie jar yet again. Well, her husband's hand in the cookie jar yet again. So Nancy says, well, we're going to craft legislation to prevent this from happening because she's already made her millions. So we're going to prevent other members of Congress from doing what I allegedly did. Um, my husband. Anyway, and we're going to stop uh, senior government officials and their families from being able to trade stocks. So they craft this bill and they bring it back to her. And then Steny Hoyer comes out and says, well, we're not going to vote on this before the midterms. Eh, probably no vote this week. And so he told CNN yeah, on Friday, eh, we're not going to vote on this. So they're all leaving because they're going home to campaign for the midterms. So you've got Abigail Spanberger, who had introduced similar legislation in 2021, and she tore into Democrat leadership. She said, our job as elected officials is to serve the people, not ourselves. So you're starting to see. Some of the new people, even on both sides, you you know, AOC rips into Pelosi. Spanberger's not as far left. She's not like crazy squad left. I mean, she's left, but she's not crazy squad left. But if you have some of the more moderate Democrats ripping into Pelosi for things like stalling this vote, which the American people want to see, which could help them in the midterms. Maybe the Democrats really are getting the wrong message. You know, we—they've become the Democrats have controlled the cultural message that says people like Tony Blevins has to be drummed out and has to lose his job because he made a joke. I don't know anybody who would be offended by that. Well, maybe maybe a couple, but they're offended at everything. So you know, whatever. You know that, but they—the same people aren't outraged when there's no vote when they when they table the vote. You know, we're not going to have it on preventing members of Congress from insider trading that you and I would go to jail for. So maybe their, me- their, their message really, really is, is not so great. And that could be good in the midterms, fingers crossed. I'm Mary Walter. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: news headquarters in new york city always seeking solutions never sewing division it's brian kilmeade
2: Yes, Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade. I would like to start this hour off by welcoming the Patriot Oxford County's talk station, WPNO, 1450 a.m. in South Paris, Maine, and WEZR 780 a.m. in Rumford, Maine, to the Brian Kilmeade family. So glad to have you join us. Welcome. Let's also welcome Michael Goodwin. He is a New York Post columnist, Fox News contributor. Follow him on Twitter at mgoodwin__nypost. Love getting to speak with this man. Michael Goodwin, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hello. Uh,
9: good morning, Mary. Thank you.
2: I, I just adore the way you write. You're one of my favorites. And you did a piece on Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And what a wonderful week the two of them have been having. Joe Biden speaking to the dead. Uh, Kamala Harris forging new you know foreign alliances. Uh, <laughs> what is happening? What's going on? And the media dutifully just pretending as if none of it has happened.
9: You know, I, um, I watched a, uh, a little video that Reuters did of Kamala Harris's trip uh, to the DMZ in Korea. And it, it's kind of all these solemn moments of her, you know, with the, with the uh, binoculars looking out into North Korea and, you know, meeting with people. And, you know, nowhere does it show what she actually said, that we have an alliance with North Korea. I mean she said it and she didn't even correct herself. No. I mean does that is she not listening to her what she's reading? Is she not I mean how did that ever happen and there's no correction, there's no acknowledgement. It's just moving on. It's like an it's like a robot reading words. Uh, I mean I guess that's an improvement over her word salads when she speaks off the cuff. But some, I mean, was that I, be, worth knowing, was that actually in the speech? Was it written that way, uh, that we have an alliance with North Korea? I mean, it's bizarre. And then, of course, as you mentioned, Biden looking for Jackie uh, in the audience, and he knew she died. He, he, you know, at least the White House sent a condolence statement in his name. But, I mean, how do these things keep happening and yet we're supposed to have confidence in them. I said it's, it's tough to follow the Dumb and Dumber Act.
2: Yeah, it, it truly is. And you know, she was asked about it. And, well, it was actually, she was asked about her um, another one of her flops, where she said, you know, that the the. Uh, was the FEMA money for Hurricane Ian the the money that was going to be doled out for that for you know to rebuild your home etc is going to be doled out based on uh, equity right like it's going to be some kind of equity thing but, you know for low income people people of color all that kind of thing and pe- and in this country we believe that now we so absolutely believe that that people were panicking and when she was asked about it, she totally ignored it and just kept walking like nothing. There's no attempt to your point to write any of this.
9: No, and I, I think it, it it's doing a lot of damage to the country. And they, of course, don't want to admit it, but it, it does just call into question where this country is headed, what is the animating force of the federal government now? I mean, are we really uh, going to start looking at race and gender above all? I mean, equity used to mean uh, a form of merit in the sense that you had put something in, that was your equity, right? We're talking about stocks as equities. Uh, You owned something, you contributed something. Now it's just the way you look and the gender you, I guess, identify with, but the gender you were essentially born with. I mean, these these are fundamentally transforming the ideals of America before our eyes, and it's become so routine now that we don't even, you know, think twice about it. It's just a stupid thing she said, but maybe she meant it. Maybe that's really what they have in store is that the money will be doled out according to your race, not according to the the value of what you lost or what you invested in your house or your business. No, no, according to your race, according to your gender. I mean, that that is such a chilling idea, uh, and it just goes to the – Goes to the heart of what the left seems to believe in, not in merit, not in sweat equity, but in birth equity uh, and and its just it 's like a new ruling class by birth it 's stunning to think that this is serious, but it is serious it is you hear it every day now uh, coming from this White House. Coming from much of the Democratic left, even much of corporate America has started uh, embracing that idea.
2: Right, they get on they get on the um, bandwagon and then they wind up having to tie themselves up in knots when it doesn't work out for them. But they've already said, "Oh no, 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 we're we're on the bandwagon." I just want to go back to I want to go to Van Jones. It's cut uh, cut four, Eric. I want to play this and discuss this because this kind of go- plays into what you're talking about right now. This is Van Jones on HBO. He was on with Bill Maher and listen to what he said about the Democrat Party.
4: This issue around the gender binary has 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 taken up way too much space uh in the public conversation uh, i think that people are weary of it i think that people having to put the she's and the this and that and the pronouns on their, their zoom mm. all of that stuff starts to send a signal i think to working class voters that they that these people are not concerned about the things that affect me every day <laughs> they're not concerned about inflation They're not concerned about which is not to say you can't be care about everybody but there's something that's out of balance and so I think that when we start sending the cultural signal that we're more concerned about the, the, the pronoun you put on your Zoom call than we are concerned about the fact that you don't have a house or a job, I think the party's off track.
2: So Van Jones gets it. So is that, is that to your point, are we going to start to see the pendulum swing the other way? Well, a couple of thoughts quickly.
9: Um, first, uh, I don't know that De- Van Jones has ever made such a comment on CNN. It's interesting that he had to go to Bill Maher's show to say that, where the Maher crowd, I think, is more accustomed to hearing that sort of thing. I think probably CNN would melt down if he said that on the air there. Um, But, look, I I, I think he's right, obviously. Unfortunately, he's now noticing it in the context of an election. Uh, did did we need uh, poll numbers to tell us that uh, people care more about uh, inflation and crime than they do about pronouns? Uh, where has the I mean, how did the Democratic Party get in this problem in, in this situation in the first place? How did Joe Biden, the avowed centrist and moderate, uh, create an administration that has, has delivered all of this nonsense and created all of these problems of when you look at it, Mary, inflation, crime, the southern border, right? The poor economy. All of these things are man made. They're not they're not sort of punishments from from God. They were created by the Biden administration. Things were better before they took office. And and yet we're they don't assume any responsibility. The Democratic Party wants you to forget all these things and think about January 6th and think about Donald Trump and, uh, you know, abortion. Think about abortion, but don't think about crime. Don't think about inflation, the economy, the border, the immigration. Don't think about those things. That's just right-wing talking points. I mean, that's the the problem with Van Jones now coming, coming around to seeing what, when he says ordinary voters think about, it's the polling that has opened his eyes. But why is it such a secret? Why can't he say that on CNN? Why isn't the White House saying that?
2: Right, right. So so when, when you look at that, we all know people who buy this hook, line, and sinker. You know, they, they eat it up. They are, they are the useful idiots who follow this. How did they get to that point? Like, how did they get to the point where it doesn't matter that Kamala Harris is talking about forging an alliance with North Korea, and she doesn't know the difference?
9: Right, right. Um, y- you know, I have, to, I have to believe that, and I don't mean to generalize so much. But I have to believe that many of the people who espouse this nonsense uh, don't have any real needs that are taking over their lives. I think they're probably mostly young, well-educated people with a secure income or family money. Uh, Their health is probably not an issue, a major issue. In other words, it's the people who I think have benefited from the American system who now, looking for some meaning in their own lives, uh, want to destroy that system. That, uh, you know, it's the whole thing that, you know, they're pulling up the moat. They made it to the castle. Now no one else can enter. Uh, That's what it feels like to me because – Anybody who's really struggled to make it uh, knows what that struggle entails. Mm-hmm. And in general, I have to say, the vast majority of people I know who have made even you know, great wealth or, or very significant wealth in this country are eager that others should, should share in it. And they are the most generous, but they also are the most common sense about how you get there. And so when you have, I think this, this what I think of as a, a party driven by spoiled brats, telling us that America is no good. If America's no good, why does everybody wanna come here? I mean, it's not like the world is rushing to Venezuela or to Cuba or to Russia or to China. People are trying to get out of those countries and come here. The rest of the world recognizes what makes America special. Why do so many Americans not realize it? I think that is the question for the ages.
2: Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the indoctrination in schools and with the rise of social media and the censorship that we now know happened before the 2020 election, where the federal government outsourced um, the the um, censorship of posts they didn't like to certain groups, who then contacted Twitter, and because the federal government can't do it, they contacted those social media groups, and we now know they they, they censored a bunch of stuff that that the left, the DNC, etc., didn't like. So when you have that kind of censorship, you know, which is very, very scary, especially coming from a federal level and they're getting away with it and they're being allowed to do it. Um, you got to wonder whether we'll actually ever have another Republican president, right? You, I, think, I think that's a viable question.
9: Sure. Look, I, I, you know, the old line that you are what you eat, I think in terms of your ideology, you are what you read, you are what you listen to. And <clears throat> you know, the the traditional American education was about absorbing different points of view, listening and hearing, giving everybody equal access. I mean, I was, you know, look, that was always the ideal. It wasn't always practiced. But what we have now is an educated class that wants to shut down all opposing views. That to me is what is what is dangerous and what is new. That you have these, uh, in in the words of Roger Kimball, the author of a book called "Tenured Radicals," uh, about the '60s, you know, radicals who went back to teaching and then tried to and use colleges as indoctrinating. Places rather than educating places. And so I think you're absolutely right about that. That is, but part of it is still, it's animated by a desire to shut down the other, not to hear, not to let them speak, not to even let the opposing viewpoints be considered. Why? Because they're dangerous? I mean, yes, they are dangerous to your monopoly, and they are dangerous to your control if other people should learn to think for themselves and be open and free to hear other ideas. That is what uh, the new left is about. It it, it is a form of totalitarianism that if they – when they get power, they want to silence the other side. I mean, look, the Constitution, our founders, they saw all of this. Uh, They obviously didn't see, uh, you know, technology uh, and the ability of that to help. But they saw the dangers of this, which is why the Constitution was structured the way it was, to make it hard to seize and control absolute power. They saw history. They knew history. They knew the history of of Europe in particular. Um, But, look – All of that has been forgotten or ignored by the new left, which makes it such a perilous
2: time. Absolutely. Michael Goodwin, thank you so much for joining me. You can read his column at the New York Post. You also see him on the Fox News channel. Thank you for joining me.
9: My pleasure, Mary. Thank
2: Enjoy you. your day. 866-408-7669. Let's talk about Joe Biden and the horrible week he had. Let's talk about Kamala Harris and what a disaster she is. And, you know, I, I, I don't see Joe Biden running in 24. Maybe he will. I don't see Kamala Harris being able to take over for him. I think she feels she's the heir apparent. I don't see that happening. But maybe I'm wrong. I mean, who does step up? Who does step up? And what do you feel about, what do you think about what Michael just had to tell us? It's pretty interesting. 866-408-7669. More coming up in The Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: The fastest growing talk show in America. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: It is our um, lowest-income communities and our communities of color that are most impacted by these extreme conditions and and impacted by by issues that are not of their own making. And Halloween. so we absolutely and so we have to address this
0: in a way that is about giving resources based on equity, understanding that we we fight for equality, but we also need to fight for equity, understanding not everyone starts out at the same place. And if we want people to be in an equal place, sometimes we have to take into account those
2: disparities. Interesting. Not everybody starts out in the same place, but if we want everyone to be in the same place, we have to address those disparities. So in other words, it's not equality of opportunity, it's equality of outcome. That vision has moved in this country via the left. It's everybody must have equal. Everybody has to be the same. You see that in communist China where everyone you know has the same clothes, everyone lives in the same apartment with the same furniture, and everybody has exactly the same, except for the ruling elites who have far more than everybody else. And if you point it out, well, then they'll just kill you. Uh, it, we were just speaking with Michael Goodwin about this idea on the left. And do you think Kamala Harris, he asked a very interesting question. He said, I don't know if she just misspoke or she really believes that. And I got to tell you, I think she really believes that. And I think there are many on the left who really believe that 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 their job their noble duty is to make sure that everyone is equal you know that idea of like we're all equal under the law well no not if it's going to hurt you you know no sorry not if you've come from a poor situation you're not going to be equal right so we're going to talk about more about the blunders because there's more from Joe Biden dealing with the military. Yeah, he, he messed that up, too. We're going to put, talk about that as well. But I want to get your calls coming up 866-408-7669 on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade.
2: So the United States shares a very important relationship, which is an alliance with the Republic of North Korea,
0: and it is an alliance that is strong and enduring.
2: Yeah, anybody else? Did you, I, my mouth just dropped off when I heard that. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade, and that was our vice president talking about the strong alliance we have formed with uh, North Korea. While North Korea was simultaneously, like, shooting off rockets, uh, trying to intimidate and say, you know, yeah, we know where you, we know you're there. We just want to let you know we can hit you. Uh, what the heck? Nobody, nobody corrected it. Nobody came out and go, oh, she's, they could come out and say she misspoke. Sorry, you know, are bad. And they would get away with it because the media just memory holes everything. They're just going to ignore that any of this is happening. So they've got that on their side. But nothing. There's nothing. When she came out and said that the re- relief for uh, Hurricane Ian was going to be equity-based, you, you know, nobody asked her. Everybody and – sh- and so she was asked, actually. She was asked about it, and she just blew right past the reporter. You know, people want another. are people in Florida who are panicking right now because they think that th- that's what's going to happen. And they're like, oh, God, I'm white and retired. I'm not going to get anything. That 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 this administration is serious about that. And the hits go on and on. You have Joe Biden last week uh, searching for the congresswoman who had been killed in the car accident, uh, Jackie Walorsky, they issued a statement, the president and first lady issued a statement about her passing, about her, her dying in that car accident, but he was looking for her, and nobody says anything, and Corrine Jean-Pierre, when she's pressed by by reporters – in the uh press briefing room she comes up with some dumb thing i think she was asked by james rosen uh who about uh you know why why this happened he pushed her on this he was one of the ones and she said well it was you know she's top of mind because it just happened he goes well you know the john lennon's top of mind for me all the time he's a big beatles fan he goes i don't don't think you know i don't go looking for john lennon and she goes well that's he's you know he wasn't thinking about the Beatles or something ridiculous but they just they just tie themselves up in knots to pretend it didn't happen or that it was perfectly fine and okay Eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. but you know so all of this you can comment on all of this but um you you know especially with Kamala Harris was saying that this is going to be equity-based do, do you think this administration is going to try to get away with this do they really believe that And I've got one more with Joe Biden coming up for you as well. So don't buy yet, because the the garden from which to choose Joe Biden's mess-ups is quite full right now. So I've got more coming up. Uh, Let's go to Jerry, who is in Florida, listening on WSKY. Uh, Jerry, first of all, did you make it through okay?
10: Yes, good morning, Mary. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Um, yes, thank God we did. I am in the central part of uh, Florida in uh, Gainesville, so we just got some wind, and thank God it uh, it did not affect us uh, too badly. But where the vice president, with all due respect, is so ill-advised, ill-informed, and ill-focused, is the fact where she pretends to believe that the storm blew harder on the poor areas, where the floodwaters rose higher on the on the poor areas, is so totally not based in the science they proclaim to uh, adhere to. Where there is true inequity, though, is is where parents in the underperforming schools, in the underperforming neighborhoods, uh, don't get their choice to have an equitable solution to their children's uh, education issues. And I believe that there is true inequity there, and they're so against the voucher program, it's so against allowing parental choice in school education so that they can then shape their children and allow them to get the education that will rise them up out of poverty i was taught by my parents that education is the true equalizer so if they want to talk about equity and inclusion it should be within the education process and allowing uh parents in the poor uh neighborhoods where the schools are not serving them and their children to allow Mm -hmm. them to get out of those failing schools and choose the schools that will best educate their children so that they can have a brighter economic future
2: That is such an excellent point. So, so true. They want equity, but instead of raising up and giving equity, like you said, in school choice to these people from poor communities who can't afford to send their kids to private schools or to better schools, they want to prevent everybody except them from being able to do that and tamp it down. So instead of rising the bus, they want to lower everybody, but only a certain class of everybody, down to a certain level so that they truly have uh, an entrenched elite class. They like it and they want to keep it that way. And that is such a profoundly smart point, Jerry. You know what? That's it. I'm going home now because it's not going to get better than that. So thank you. (laughs) And, and, and stay, I'm glad you're safe. I'm really glad you're safe. What a great point. You know, it's, it's so true. They are so hypocritical and they are so um, they, they show their hand though, cause they know they're never going to get called on their hypocrisy. It's like these politicians who are against school choice, but who went to private school or like Gavin Newsom who wants to keep schools shut down, but his kids go to private school. So his kids are going to class, you know, but they get away with it. They get called, they get called on it by, by, uh, by the right, but the media will cover for them. And by the way, I think there's still some more good calls. So let's let's give it a shot. Uh, Steven, uh, in Memphis, Tennessee, on WKIM, Steven, you are on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing just great. So, boy, what do you think about Harris and this uh, equity-based allocation of funds?
11: Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, you know, uh, what 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 she did and said how the North, North Korea you know, fumbled how it said North Korea was our ally is just disgraceful. Um, you know, uh, you know, Donald Trump said it best uh, when, when, when he was in office. He said that, um, that him and Kim Jong-un have a beautiful relationship and that he thinks he's a very good person. So I don't like the Democrats trying to take credit for befriending Kim Jong-un. Donald Trump did it first. So I mean I don't understand these demagogues doing the demagoguery when Trump was the first, the friend. You can't you can't do that. You can't be I'm best friend number one. You're best friend number two. You know what I'm saying?
2: Exactly, you know, and uh, you make an excellent point Steve See, and I thought there weren 't going to be any more good calls i 'm joking when I say that by the way, everybody, please call me um, you 're absolutely right you know by by building um, by building Kim jong un up, Trump gave him that national stage that he wanted. he wanted that recognition, and Trump gave that to him, but Trump also was able then to negotiate with Kim on a level that made Kim feel important. And Trump got what he wanted. So you're 100% right. What Trump did was brilliant by by saying, okay, this guy wants to feel, he wants, wants attention, he's shooting these rockets off. It's like a kid who, you know, in the back of the class, who's always disrupting the class, you find out that the kid just wants attention, right? So the teacher... The kid that everybody in the class hates, right? But just wants attention. The teacher brings that t- that kid into the fold, and then can control that child and get good behavior out of that child. And Trump did the same thing. And I have to tell you, I'm really glad you pointed that out because it is a brilliant strategy. And this administration could learn from that strategy instead of insulting South Korea and saying, "Oh, we've got a great a great relationship. We've got a, a partnership with North Korea." And totally dissing your the, your host, the South Koreans, maybe they could learn a little bit by engaging Kim jong-un and um, being able to control him a little bit more the way Donald Trump did. so thank you that, that's that was a really good point. All right, I have more coming up. more. and this this time is Joe Biden. all right And do you really believe if you want to comment more on this equity issue of the disbursement of hurricane Ian relief funds? First can I just say, I don't understand why we do this anyway. I get that everybody thinks they're destroyed. It's horrible, terrible, horrible. But I also don't understand why we can't go around. Well, I guess it's a whole other topic. Every time something like this happens, even if I've been affected, I, I look at it and I'm like, I don't know why the taxpayers in Idaho should have to pay for this. But okay. Um, that, but I guess that's a whole other topic. Um, but anyway, the funds that will be dispersed based on equity. They really believe that um, that, you know, we have to we have to make whole people who who we have to bring them up more and give them funds because you have a lot. So, you know, you have stuff over here, so we shouldn't we shouldn't give you what you have come do. We shouldn't treat everybody equally. We should treat some better than others. 866 408 7669. I've got more of your calls and more Joe Biden coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: The Brian Kilmeade Show, sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. More of The Brian Kilmeade Show coming up. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I also spoke to aviation
12: survival second class technician, second class Zach Lesh, who uh, described how difficult the decision is for people to leave everything and come to safety. I told him how proud of him I was and thanked him for all the work he and his Coasties are doing to save lives. I'm grateful for the brave women and men, federal, state, and local folks working so hard they're all working as one team hear that from the governor as well as from the federal folks
2: yeah so the problem is is joe biden uh congratulated this coast guard rescue swimmer uh who uh, during hurricane ian uh, during the rescue uh lush saved a disabled woman and her husband from a bedroom in their home that they become trapped in he was forced to kick in a wall in order to get to them and he strapped the woman and her wheelchair to his body And to take her up to a helicopter and he saved uh, lots of pets in the area as well. But the problem is, is um, that Coast Guard swimmer that he so very publicly thanked, uh, turns out that he's going to be fired by the Coast Guard over his vaccine stance, The the Coastie said, if I had any of the people, if I had asked any of the people I saved yesterday, if they wanted to come with me, even though I'm unvaccinated, every single one of them would have said yes. He has submitted a religious exemption, but he is going to be outed. He also said he didn't feel it was appropriate to bring up his impending dismissal to the president. And um, so this administration can't do anything right. Where where's the staff? They might as well just not have staff. Because either Kamala Harris isn't listening to the staff and she's just going off on her own. And that's why she thinks we're in an alliance with North Korea because that or they're they're just no staff. No one thought to check to see if this coastie, you know, is going to be leaving because they've got the vaccine status in play. And a lot of people are being kicked out of the military because of it. And you've got Kamala Harris scaring all of Florida, telling them that, uh. You know, they can't th- – their, their um, funds are going to be equity-based, you know, based on the color of your skin, you know, because people have been discriminated against in the past. Eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Parker listening on WHIO in Ohio. Parker, you're on The Brian Kilmead Show. Hi.
6: Hey, how you doing?
2: I'm doing great. Go ahead.
6: So, uh, yeah, I – I got affected by a tornado right through my yard in 2019, applied for FEMA like you're supposed to, and it's 100% equity-based. I mean, I didn't get any FEMA assistance because of the equity I have or the money I have. I, I, I made too much money. And and that was back then. I think they've been doing it forever.
2: But but I think there's what she's talking about, though, was based on things like skin color, people who have, you know, been disenfranchised, that type of thing. She wasn't talking about means testing.
6: Yeah. And, you know, I wish I could remember exactly how that form was filled out. But I felt like back then that they were starting to test the waters on that, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I'm like, hmm, that's kind of strange, you know, but now she's coming out and they're openly saying it.
2: Well, but again, I think I think it's two different things that she's talking about versus what you're talking about versus, you know, means testing versus, gee, what color is your skin? That type of thing. Um, and, And so did you have insurance, though?
6: Yes.
2: Yeah. But See, and the-,
6: uh, the cost of it, I don't know how that's going to work for all the people in Florida, because I bet, especially now after COVID, it's going to cost more than what their house has ever insured for to replace it because of the market.
2: It's a good point.
6: There's going to be a huge gap.
2: Yeah, that's, that's an excellent point. And I, I will be honest with you, I don't know exactly how all of that works. Thank God we've been very blessed. We made it through Sandy. And we wound up with very, very little damage, thank God. And um, so we never made a claim, and we didn't qualify anything for FEMA or anything along those lines. Nor did we really need anything. I think we would have felt guilty taking something. So um, I have not been personally involved in that. But thank you, Parker. I appreciate that information. And hopefully, you are all rebuilt and everything is good uh let's we have time here let's go to virginia stewart on wnis you're on the brian kilmeade show hi
11: how you doing today
2: doing great go ahead
11: well listen i think the uh the vice president's misstatement with regard to north carolina uh, north carolina listen to me north korea uh <laughs> getting only an eye roll uh is is two full. one uh they just don't care anymore it's just it's too hard to cover up yeah we all knew what she meant who cares And two, you know, I think the nest of vipers is going to slowly let her start fouling her own nest just to make sure that she's easier to move on when when the time in the near future comes. But nor am I surprised when she interjects the DEI uh, buzzwords. But, you know, pursuant to what the last caller said, you know, I don't want us to – on the conservative people to overreact on the radio when she says – when you hear race, she means needs, okay? Because, yeah, we, I don't want to read stories about, you know, I'm a, a, a white guy getting ready to retire, you know, veteran 66 years old. I don't want to read stories about people who were insured, did have assets, and then getting money from the federal government on top of it, uh, mm-hmm. and wasn't that a terrible scam. Most of them don't have the kind of guilt reflex that you just mentioned, ma'am, uh, and I don't want to read about that. But when she says grace she's meaning need in terms of hey just because this person was uh, living in a tar paper shack before they got destroyed are you only going to build them back to a tar paper shack or are you going to maybe you know use the federal government to, to see them in a little more substantial setup and not you know just shovel money with blindly off to people who are already you know quite well insured you know,
2: Yeah, no, I, understand. I I totally understand what you're saying. And this is why I don't like when the government gets involved in these types of projects. You know, th- this is this because it winds up with, well, this person shouldn't get this. And I don't think that person should get that. Well, that person over there should get more. I know our fire department was was trash it was w- 10 years later after Sandy, 10 years after Sandy. They're finally rebuilding the fire department here. But because the fire department, they didn't have a generator in the building. They now have to raise the money because FEMA will not build you back better than you were before. So they will not put a generator into the fire department because they didn't have a generator before they'll build you back. They'll give you the funds to build back to where you were. Now, if you get into, well, that guy had a tar paper shack, which I don't know who lives in those anymore, but okay. But it had one of those. And, and so he, should we give him something better now? You you kind of muddy the waters with stuff like that. Who makes those decisions? You know, uh, so I I think it's, it's a very slippery slope and there are people in, in Florida who are panicking over this, who are wondering if, oh, well, you know, she she meant skin color, but she didn't really mean that. She meant the poor guy down the street. She didn't really mean skin color. I don't know. Maybe she did. I guess we'll find out. Personally, I don't think that's going to, all of this is going to happen. That's just me personally, but I could be wrong. I'm Mary Walter and you're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: News radio studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmead.
2: I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmead and big. Brian Kilmeade family, welcome to the Patriot Oxford County's talk stations, WPNO, 1450 AM in South Paris, Maine, and WEZR 780 AM in Rumford, Maine. Welcome to the family. Glad to have you. Let's talk a little bit about the economy, shall we? Let's bring in Connell McShane, Fox Business Network chief national correspondent. Find him on Twitter at Connell McShane very easy. Connell, thank you for joining me.
7: Uh, thanks for having me on, Mary. That is very easy.
2: It is you're very lucky. You're one of the few people actually got your name well. on Twitter. <laughs> I- not so lucky. I just want to play a little something for you here. This is something this the news of this has kind of died down a little bit. This is Joe Biden. Uh, at a, He was at some kind of an event. He was wearing a, a tux. And I forgive me for not knowing what the event was. Uh, but I don't really think it matters because he was giving a speech. And here's what he had to say about what they're calling student debt forgiveness.
12: We can afford to cancel $10,000 in student debt and 20,000 bucks if you had a Pell Grant. For America's making under 125 grand. I don't want to hear a word from those members of Congress, if you notice, whose families got tens of thousands of dollars and several million dollars in pandemic relief loan forgiveness. The same ones criticizing. Give me a break. Come on.
2: Oh, I lo- His tell of give me a break and come on and come on, man. That's, ha- that's a tell for Joe Biden. That's how you know he's run out of words. <laughs> And And that's his crutch, and he was at the uh, Congressional Black Caucus Foundation Phoenix uh, Awards. First of all, a couple things: I have a problem calling it student debt forgiveness. It should be called student debt transfer, and the right needs to stop calling it forgiveness. They need to start calling it student debt transfer. That's the first thing. But is it not disingenuous when he compares it to the PPP?
7: I would say the best comparison now to what we're seeing in – at least in the markets where we're following every day is what happened in the UK when – and it's not you know the, the same thing exactly. But we're kind of in a new era, and when the new prime minister in the UK, Liz Truss, came out and said that she wanted to cut everybody's taxes, the market responded negatively to that in a really negative fashion. surprised a lot of people, as a matter of fact, and I, I think the reason for that was – this era where you can just spend what you want because you can borrow at such a, a low rate of interest and just keep spending and spending and spending on no matter what it is. In this case, you know, it was uh, to fund the government, even though you don't have as much revenue coming in through taxes. In the case of what the president's talking about with, um, as you say, forgiveness or transfer of, of student debt, you can essentially keep spending money forever. Um, the investors in the market t- t- sent a real message to Liz Trust in the UK that you can't do that anymore. Um, the world has changed. Interest rates are higher. Inflation is a big issue. So we're a little bit different in the United States because – essentially, I think, because we have the reserve currency and the largest economy in the world and all the rest of it. But it doesn't necessarily mean that we'll be different forever. And if we keep putting policies in place or keep proposing policies um, that don't – Pay for themselves, or that just spend money by borrowing more money. We could have a similar situation to what they've been going through the last couple of weeks in the in the UK. I think it was a big warning to people about these types of policies.
2: But the and maybe I'm reading this wrong, uh, which is why you're here. Because um, I will admit that I am not an economist. Unlike AOC, I'm not an economist. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just know what my dad taught me about not overextending myself. You know, we we seem to be borrowing at such a high rate in this country that don't we? Avenge, first of all, who are we borrowing from when we borrow money?
7: Well, whoever buys the bonds, but of course, a lot of people point out the fact that it's um, the Ch- the Chinese government does hold a lot of of U.S. debt. So it's other governments and and whoever wants to buy the uh, the bonds, the U.S. Treasury bonds that we're selling. And you know, and I guess that that is my biggest point is that because the U.S. is the largest economy in the world and has the reserve currency, um, those bonds are thought to always be be good. They have the full faith and credit, as they say, of the U.S. government behind them and will always make good on them. Um, I think what other countries find out is that when they go into these situations, and that's why I use the U.K. example, is that they are, they are told by the market that, hey, wait a second, um, at some point you're going to be on the hook for this. And I guess the larger point is that at some point, so will we. And we're getting probably closer to that point than we have been any time in our kind of recent memory. Um, I was just reading something this morning, as a matter of fact, and start to think that I'm not that young. I I haven't been doing this 20-something years. But for basically my entire career, going back to the late um, 90s, we've been in this market environment where inflation has really been low, interest rates haven't been that much of an issue. We've had a few blips along the line, but now we're entering this new phase. And I think you're going to start to see more and more stories where the example you brought up, the one I brought up, um, it's not going to end as well as it always did in the past. Uh, Some things that weren't a big deal before might become a bigger deal, if that makes sense in the future.
2: Now, when you talk about it, it may become a bigger deal in the future. So if I'm, you know, listening to this and, and I've, you know, got my house and I've got my mortgage and I'm paying off and maybe I got a, a couple of kids that I'm trying to feed and is it is it time to panic? Well, what are we talking about? What could we possibly be looking at? Down in the future.
7: Well, that's always hard to do because even today we've been doing some reporting on comparing the period we're in now to the financial crisis. And that's always really, really hard to do because there's kind of an apples and oranges component to it, and things are never exactly the same as they were in the past. But back in uh, 2007, there was this uh, French bank. BNP Paribas, the French bank that had problems with its funding. And at the time, people didn't make too much of it. There were stories about it, of course, and the markets were a little jittery. But now when everybody looks back, they say, boy, that was the start we should have seen of the financial crisis. One thing led to another, and there was Bear Stearns, and there was Lehman Brothers the year after, and, and all the rest. Um, now people look at this situation in the UK, and some have made comparisons saying, hey, that's just like it was back then when BNP Paribas came up. It's not that big of a deal. You think it's just um, a new government. With a proposal in the UK, but now the Bank of England has intervened over there. What if that spreads somewhere else? What if we have an issue here? So I think you know you don't want to start mouthing off and saying, "Oh, the worst case scenario is that the the market turns into what it did back then," because we're nowhere close to where we were back then. You know, the the stock market went down. We looked at it this morning, fifty four percent over seventeen months. Just an absolute disaster. We went back seventeen months from last Friday. For all the trouble we're in, it was it's down 14 percent over that time span. So it's not even close to being there yet. But it's just these little tremors, as the former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers said last week, that, you know, when you get an earthquake, his point was it doesn't all happen at once. You get a few tremors, you start to say, oh, wait a second, and then something else hits. So I think we just have to watch things right now. And, but right now we're just in a in kind of a rough, anxious stretch, but not in a point where we're starting to make predictions of some sort of a – of a crisis like we had back then.
2: Okay, fair. So is, is this something, though, that maybe is cyclical? Because I've heard people say, oh, well, you know, it's cyclical. Market goes up, the market goes down. You're going to yeah. see a big dip, and then it'll come back up. Everything's fine.
7: It's up today, if that makes See? you feel better. Uh, you know, some of it's cyclical. Some of it's calendar-based. I mean, there's some people making arguments that, you know, the first three quarters of this year were terrible. The Dow's up 660 points right now, by the way, as we speak, which is, it's, it's more than due for some sort of a bounce-back day. But, you know, the first time we've been down um, for three consecutive quarters since the crisis. I mean, we hadn't done that since March of 2009 on the major averages, so the S&P 500 being the biggest. So we haven't seen that kind of a, a drop. Three quarters in a row. So we're, we're due for a bounce back. I think, I don't know if this is fair, I think we'd be worried if we don't get it. You know what I mean? Because uh, there were people talking last week about the political calendar saying that fourth quarter of a midterm year is usually a pretty good one uh, for stocks. So I think maybe one thing to keep in mind is that if for some reason the market doesn't bounce a little bit here and it keeps declining, then yeah, and makes even. More lows, fresh lows. I think then, then you start to maybe not hit the panic button, but start to get even more alarmed. Whereas right now, this seems normal. If that mm-hmm. happened, maybe it would be stretching into the into the area of being abnormal. And I think that's kind of the way that I look at it. That we're right on the the cusp of giving us something to worry about certainly and obviously people have lost so much money in their retirement 401k plans and the like have every reason to be worried especially if they're close to retirement but for everybody else who's a long term outlook i think we're on the cusp of being worried but we're not right. we're not in panic uh, territory just yet
2: but there are some people whose personal incomes, I think, are in panic territory. Yes. People who, you know, you've got rents rising ridiculously, yes. just being doubled and doubled. And, you know, why are rent? Why are rents going up so much? I guess that's a question.
7: Well, that we, I've. Put it this way and i don't know if this makes a lot of sense but we've we've uh, we've had just a weird environment over the last few years um i mean think about a time and we've never had it where we've just shut down everything basically for two years which we did and it just i think created a very strange and abnormal situation in otherwise functioning markets and i think rent was kind of one of them where it was it just has gotten so far out of whack and you know there are buildings that were sitting empty and we thought a place like New York City was uh, there were all kinds of stories about how many people were leaving and they were never going to come back and all the rest and you know a lot of people that were coming out of college or were younger they looked for a place that they could afford to live maybe it was their parents house for a little while and now I think a lot of those people are getting back into the market for a place to live on their own and they're flooding um, the market and coming back into cities like New York just using that as one example but other places because because New York's prices are obviously so so high. But you, you when you when you shut things down and I don't think this is the only reason, but I think it's a big reason. When you shut things down for two years there are a lot of unintended consequences of that. And one was to have these kind of functioning markets, housing, rent, that, that just weren't functioning properly. And now when everybody comes flooding back in, you have this big increase um, off uh, off of the low rates. So hopefully it normalizes over time. It usually does, but I don't think we've been through anything exactly like that before. And I think it's one of the reasons it's been so dramatic.
2: So, what do you say to people who you know are having a hard time because it costs more to fill up their gas tank now who um, you know interest rates are going up if you have a balloon mortgage you 're probably in trouble right now probably regretting that choice or people who want to buy a house who it just keeps getting further and further and further out of their grasp and now they 're spending more money on rent so they're they 're not saving the money to be able to put that down payment down to maybe to be able to buy a house are kind of caught in a cycle uh, what do you say to these people who are looking at the cost of meat uh, the cost cost of, of, of all sorts of food. Every time I cry when I go to the checkout now at the shop, right, I'm standing there in yeah. tears and she's like, don't worry. we see it every day. What do you tell those people?
7: It's. T- I mean, it, I mean, there's no. Obviously, there's no perfect message to anybody who's going through financial hardship. There never, um, there never has been. And, it, and the last thing you want to say to someone who's in a situation like that. Oh, it's going to be o- okay over time. You sound like uh, you know someone speaking from some sort of a elitist ivory tower that's looking at nothing but uh, stocks and bonds, and people are living in their in their real life. So I don't think there is any kind of real message with that because, unfortunately, right now, and I know this is maybe uh, further depressing, the cure for those thing, things that you're talking about, you're mostly talking about inflation. The cure for high prices is high prices. So at some point, unfortunately, um, those prices are going to come down when the economy slows down dramatically. Then there won't be demand. And, I, th- you know, we're getting close to that point as well. Economy's been very, very strange. I mean, we've had numbers t- this morning that weren't great, but they're not terrible. So, for example, on manufacturing, it's still expanding, not as much as people thought. But it wasn't a, it wasn't a terrible number. And then on jobs, we, we keep, and we'll see how this turns out this week. It'll be kind of interesting. The job market has held up pretty well. Um, the way the Federal Reserve's going at things, they don't really want it to. They, want it to they, they, don't, they don't want it to collapse by any means, but they want it to start weakening a little bit because they want demand to come down. Their priority is what you were saying. They want to kill inflation. They want to nip it in the bud. Obviously, that's been unsuccessful, but they want to prevent it from getting completely out of control. And really, the only way to do that is to slow down the economy. So it's, um, it's a tough choice. It's, it's you know the lesser of two evils, bad to worse, whatever comparison you want to make. And that's why there's no direct message to those people, because when things start to get better on the price front, it means the economy is slowing down probably and and then we're going to have problems in other areas like the job market. So I don't, there's, no, there's no real good answer for that over the next yeah. year or so, I don't think.
2: And, and that's fair. I just think like people who want to sell, buy a house, now maybe people entering the market, people yeah. looking for a vacation home, trying to pick something up, um, do, and this will be my last question because they're going to yell at me. <laughs> I could go all day with you. Um, so So do those people hold now? Would you tell like if you had a friend who's like, look, I really want to get a job, I really want to get a a house. we have been looking for a while. Prices were too high. Um, Do they sit and wait now?
7: This is a complete dodge on a question like that, but I I do have to say at the beginning, it completely depends on where you're looking um, because housing has never been a national market. And I think now more than ever, you go in, you know, we're in New York. I'm speaking to you from New York, but in the area, not only in the city, but the suburbs around here, it's completely different from some other areas um, of the country. So I think you have to be really, and, and the other thing about housing that I think is is really have to keep in mind, it's not just an investment. It's where you live. It's w- what your job is. So you have to make those decisions based on that. Um, I think I would have said a couple years ago maybe think about renting for a while, but now that's kind of out the window for a lot of people. So, again, I don't think there's any, there's, there's any one answer to that, but I think it's fair to say that interest rates will continue to go up from here. The Federal Reserve has been open for that. So if you're, if you're looking at it from that perspective and you're trying to time rates, um, they're only going to go up. So at least over the, the next year, maybe even more. So you have to keep that in mind.
2: All right. Well, Kyle McShane, thank you so much for making us smarter. We do appreciate it.
7: Well, depressing you in the process. I'm sorry about that. But thank you, Mary.
2: No, I have to tell you, this was not as depressing as I thought it was going to be.
7: <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> so,
2: you, you know, you're like a therapist. You're Yes, your life is a mess, but... There's right. some good spots.
7: Yeah, it's, it's not as bad. Well, that's I, I like that after an interview. It's not quite as bad as we thought. So thanks a right, lot. Right,
2: exactly. So thank you for some good news.
10: <laughs> All
2: right, take care. Have a great day. 866-408-7669. I want to I jump into the economy a little bit with you. Uh, we'll talk about gas prices and everything. But um, it's interesting. Yahoo went out and they, they interviewed people around the country to find out how the economy is affecting what they're doing and how they're getting by. And these people, you know, really are having it rough. But... I'm just curious, what are you changing? What what are you doing as far as trying to make choices? Because we're doing some things, and I'll tell you what we're doing coming up. But I'm curious as to what exactly, uh, have you changed, if anything, in order to stretch your money and make it go further than it currently is going? 866-408-7669. Your call's coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show
1: educating entertaining enlightening you're with brian kilmeade a radio show like no other it's brian kilmeade
2: talk the economy 866 408 gasoline prices are continuing to climb they've been coming down for a little bit because you know they they put that the gas out there from the uh, strategic reserve that wasn't going to last forever and uh, gas now has been rising since september 21st there were fewer than 100 days of declines over the summer and then you've got hurricane ian that is now going to impact gas prices how much we still don't know because you don't know how much production in the Gulf has been um, been harmed by Ian, uh, about 11 percent of crude oil produc- production in the Gulf was closed to prevent damage from the hurricane. So they stop it. It has mostly resumed since then. Over nine percent of production that was still shut down. So of course that is going to affect. The prices. Uh, the demand for gas is up because demand for gas is up, but total domestic production has fallen. Mm. Thank you, Joe. Um, and our crude inventories have decreased slightly. You've got the prices going up. Uh, we talked about the stock market tanking. We talked about that with Con- uh, Connell. You know, that I know someone, some, one of my friends posted on Twitter, she's down $60,000 in her portfolio. I was like, oh, It's rough. It's hard. You know, I think there are people who are looking at retiring who are looking at their 401ks and looking at their stock portfolios and going, oh, all right, maybe I'm going to work for yet another year because it's coming at a bad time. So I want to hear how it's affecting you. 866-408-7669. And I will get your calls next on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The current
8: state of the economy is not good. Uh, whether we have a downturn in the third quarter, which just ended, uh, it will be at best a very sluggish quarter, and we're headed for a recession next year. The reason is, uh, Trey, is that the Federal Reserve wants a slowdown. They want more unemployment. They want to make people poor because, in their, I think, wrong headed thinking, They think the only way you conquer inflation is by depressing an economy, making people poorer. So we're in for some tough times, unnecessarily.
2: That was Steve Forbes on Sunday night in America with uh, Trey Gowdy and saying that the Fed wants to slow down the economy in order to combat inflation. We were just speaking with Connell McShane from uh, the Fox Business Network, and uh, he was saying pretty much the same thing, that the Feds are trying to slow down the economy, because if you can decrease demand, then prices can breathe, and they can you know lower prices. Although the people who are providing those goods probably are not thrilled with that, so I don't know how much of it, uh, a strategy winning strategy that possibly could be. 8664087669 price of everything is going up. So one of the things my husband and I do is and I always do it, always have done it. So our grocery store of a big huge um grocery store and it's it's a chain called Shoprite. if you don't have it in your part of the country. They're all over the place here. And they have, at least in the ones that I go to, my neighborhood where I where I shop, they have thirty to seventy percent off section. So they have refrigerators near the checkouts that will have all of their prepared foods, salads, um anything that needs to be refrigerated goes in those and they'll be marked anywhere from 30 to 70% off however close to the expiration date they are because they're mostly prepared foods. And then right in near that is the they have two racks of baked goods that are near their expiration date. And then if you go in the back, if you go in the meat section, they have a thirty to seventy percent off section, and you know, so they're they're scattered around the store to make you look for them, and they have a vegetable one and everything. So we, I always check those first, especially the prepared foods, because I can get a salad that when you open it, if there's enough lettuce, maybe I'll buy a head of lettuce to to you know supplement, but it's got protein on it. There's more than enough protein for the two of us usually, and it would be like five dollars. So like we're having dinner for two dollars and fifty cents. This is amazing. So I was in there the other day, and I saw they had salmon. They had smoked salmon. No, excuse me. It was it was cooked salmon. And with dill sauce, I said, oh, you know, this, this is nice. Maybe I'll get this. There's enough salmon here for both of us. The discounted price was $12. I was, what? what? I didn't buy it. I'm like, the discounted price is $12? I'll come back tomorrow when this is closer to the expiration date. <laughs> So I've started to shop that way now that if one of us is going by, I won't make a special trip because of the cost of gas, but if one of us is going by, I'll tell my husband, stop in a shop, right? See how much that, that salmon is, you know, like, or see if there's anything in there because they'll mark it down more and more. It was only marked down 30%. As it gets closer to the expiration date, it'll go down more and more and more. And maybe I can get it at 70% off. And that's what we do. You know, the state I live in, in New Jersey, they just announced that, you know, natural gas prices went up October 1st because you know, everything's more expensive and they're trying to get rid of natural gas in New Jersey. They don't want you to have it. They think it's evil. So everything in our house is natural gas and I love it. But um, yeah, no, I, I have on sweatpants already. Uh, it's it's October, th- uh, October 3rd and yesterday I was in sweatpants, sweatshirt, the whole bit because we're not putting the heat on. Because it's so expensive So we'll put it on if it gets really, really cold But in the meantime, it's put on two pairs of sweatpants, honey We can't afford it So curious as to what you're doing, if anything Are you changing the way you live? Uh, Rich in Wisconsin, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show Hi
13: Hi, how you doing?
2: Cold, I'm cold
13: I understand that (laughs) Uh, Changing the way we live Yes, we have Looking at the economy, we don't just go to the grocery store. We shop. Like you said, we shop. We don't just grab. So we look. We look for the best prices. But we've also looked at how we travel. We don't travel as much. And when we do travel, we consolidate. But I retired a year and a half ago, and I was forced to go back to work. I do have two part-time jobs. And I think that the marketplace right now, our job market is really askew with the numbers because I see a lot more retired people out there. I see a lot of people who work multiple part-time jobs, and I can't believe that we're at 3.2%. We have job positions open all over up here. And to be honest with you, there's a lot of senior citizens who have come off retirement because they cannot afford it. They've lost their holdings in the stock market and they just can't do things. I know ourselves we use space heaters now versus turning on the big gas furnace. So mm-hmm. when it gets cold at night, blankets, space heaters, and, you know, just kind of hunker on down and cross your fingers.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So you have openings, and this is what fascinates me. There's job openings, yet nobody's taking them. Seniors are coming out of retirement to work. What's, with the, what's the generational... Thing that's happening here.
13: Well, I talk with a lot of people because I work a register in one of the jobs that I do, and talking with them, the seniors are coming out, of course, because they can't afford it to live without right. supplementing but this. But the other people, they're coming out of school. These are. Not even high school. These are college graduates who are coming out of school. They're looking at the jobs going, you know, you're not paying enough. You're only paying 12 13 an hour. And up here, the, some of the part-time jobs are at 13 an hour. But there are other jobs, like in our gas station, we have Quick Marts up here. They're paying $19 an hour in some cases for evening shifts or night shifts, and they can't get people to work because people just, it's not enough money for me. I prefer to stay home and do nothing. Versus go to work for that. And I've, I've, I've worked for 50 years. I've been a nurse for 45. Uh, I got out of healthcare because I just couldn't do it anymore. Physically, it's devastating. Uh, but you look at the younger people, younger group, and they're looking for high cash flow, low accountability, low responsibility, low. Uh, Days of work, they don't want to work five day weeks or four day weeks. They want to work three day weeks in some cases, and make what you would make in a five day work week.
2: So, so quick question: I I don't mean to rush you through, but I want to get to some other calls. So, very quickly, though, what are those when they choose not to take those jobs because you're not paying me enough, and I only want to work three days a week, which is obviously impossible? Who's paying their bills? How do they live?
13: That is, uh, I have people that come in and talk about daycare centers being subsidized by the state they're on food subsidies they're receiving money in that way they have some type of income on the side they won't they're not really telling me exactly how much you're getting but there's a lot of subsidies from the government there's a lot of state subsidies in Wisconsin that are covering a lot of these things the necessities and i'm sure housing is being covered as well
2: yeah I was just curious as to how they're they're living and, and they're, they're making ends meet. It just doesn't add up to me. I, I clearly did not get that memo or I'm not on that email, that, that thread, you know, like no nobody texted me that information because I, I listen, I don't understand how they're making it work, but because it, 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 it sounds great. If you, it sounds like a great gig, if you can get it, Rich, thank you so much. I, I appreciate you chiming in. Eric, I want to give you more time, so just hang on, uh, because we'll take a break here, and then I'll come back, and then I can give you more time on the other side, so don't go anywhere. More coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
8: This uh, bill with the spending, with the taxes and everything else in it, uh, big, big boondoggles coming down the road. Yes, it's going to hurt the economy, waste resources, hurt businesses, which hurts uh, people's employment prospects. So uh, why they call it the Anti-Inflation Act, they probably thought, well, people don't like inflation, so call it the Anti-Inflation Act, as if words are going to change reality. They're not. Certainly not words from the White House.
2: That was Steve Forbes on Sunday night in America with Trey Gowdy uh, talking about what's coming down the road. And you're seeing more and more of it. We're talking about raising uh, rents rising. We were talking um, about uh, the cost of gas going up and food and things like that. I'll tell you, we um, we have wood burning. We have a big wood burning stove in our house because I live in a 140 year old home and um, we have fireplaces and unfortunately, we converted, a lot of them had to be converted to gas because they couldn't be used legally by today's standards. But we have this huge wood-burning fireplace, and my husband just bought this this crazy um, splitter because he was doing a lot of it by hand but also had like a small splitter. He's serious this season, and we've been stockpiling the wood that people just put at the curb. We go get it we're those people, and um, I make a fire every day. In the winter, every day. I'm sure the neighbors look at me and go, that poor woman, because I'm always lugging wood, rain, snow, sleet. I'm like Laura Ingalls on the prairie, lugging wood in the house. And that's going to happen more and more this year with the cost of natural gas going up, mortgages going up, used cars. I I thought this was so interesting. According to CarMax, the average price of a used vehicle was $28,657 in the last three months. Average almost $27,000 excuse me almost $29,000 the median income in the United States is $37,500 so you're going to pay almost a year's salary for a used vehicle so how are you making it work how are you getting by 866-408-7669 Eric uh, listening on WABC in Queens Eric thank you for holding on you're on the Brian Kilmeade show
14: Hi, Mary. Nice to talk to you. Uh, we spoke in the past. Um, yeah. So I, as I was on hold, I just looked at my TD Ameritrade account only to see I'm down 95%, 55, 62, 78. This is my portfolio.
3: Uh,
14: um, so, you know, for, you know, you know, your friend who was down $60,000, you know, uh, I wonder what the percentage was because that's what you really look at. And I'm sure her percentage is a horrible like mine. Yeah. Um, that being said, you know, you're, the gentleman on earlier was talking about the rising rental prices. Now, I'm, a, I'm in the construction business. I'm also a landlord. I do many things to earn a living. Um, I can tell you what nobody talks about is this has been going on for decades with the flow of the illegal immigration, whether it be through the border or people who come, like most people in New York, they come here on a visa and they never go back. Right. Those people are renting. Okay? Okay and they are adding to the surplus of renters so you have so much demand and little supply and it's just this is basic economics right supply and demand Mm -hmm. when you have like a single guy like me having to compete with three or four adult illegal migrants that are working and i have to compete with them to rent an apartment now so they can afford to pay two thousand or three thousand dollars a month because you got three or four people contributing and here a, a single person, I have to compete with them. And obviously that's not happening. So,
2: right.
14: And for most land, for most New York City landlords, we'll just talk about New York City, they don't really care anymore. They just want the money. So they don't care if it's one tenant or three or four. They just want to get money. Right. So, you know, and another thing what we don't hear about, because I'm in Home Depot every day, um, the prices in Home Depot have gone up since covid 50, 100, 200, 300 percent across the board. A tube of painter's caulk used to be $1.25 before COVID. It's now $2.50, right? A two-by-six piece of lumber was $5 before COVID. It's $10 now. It was $16 right. when Biden w- became president. Um, so, yeah, prices have come down, but they're still double or triple of what they were before COVID. And now when we talk about rebuilding Florida, well, guess what? What are they going to be paying for material now?
2: That's a good so, point. You, Eric, the rent, the rent point, I think, is, is, was brilliant that you know, we have these people who are allowed, which I don't know. I thought you had to show ID to rent an apartment. You had to have a bank account to rent an apartment. So I'm curious as to how these groups of illegals come to this country, and they're able to rent an apartment without ID and without a bank account. It makes you wonder, doesn't it?
14: I hate to interrupt you, but... I'm in the construction business. Most of my workers are illegals, and they're probably the most honest, hardworking people out there. And as a landlord, I might rent to these people before I would rent to some sketchy American who has a 600 credit score. So, you know, as long as I know these people are working, I know they're clean and I know they're going to pay their bills. So, you know, it's it's a catch 22 that we're living in here.
2: Well, so. I gotta tell—I gotta tell you—for at least admitting that you hire illegals, um, I, I give you credit for admitting that. But I think most of the construction industry does because Americans don't want to work. Uh, so, so I, I, I get it. And if you had to hire Americans, you'd probably be have to provide health care and all this other stuff. So the the construction industry is is broken. But what I was going to say <laughs> was, well, you know, if we enforce the laws and prevented people from hiring illegals. The cost of those rents would go down, but other costs would go up. You know, we've made a deal with the devil. And Eric, thank you so much. Really interesting. Thank you. I appreciate it. We've made a deal with the devil when it comes to this. We use these people for their cheap labor and we're like, yeah, this is great. Uh, But then there are unintended consequences. Let's quickly head to Georgia and Robert. You are on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi.
15: Hey, um, yeah, so I was just saying to uh, I don't know who it was who answered the phone.
2: That's the wonderful Peter. But, yes, that's Peter.
15: Okay, <laughs> I'm new to I'm new to your show. I'm um, not new to the station uh, because I listen to. Uh, um.
2: Well, that's okay. That's fine. We don't have a lot of time. I want I want you to have time to get your point across. Go ahead. so,
15: so my point across is that I'm making more now than I've ever made before, and yet. Because of how pri- how the prices have gone, I am paying more. Because, or because I'm paying more, I am a lot more conservative and a lot more careful of the prices of what uh, of what I spend. On. I used to just spend, and you know, I, I mean, I saved too. But I mean, I used to just spend and not think anything of it. Now it's like every time I go, it's like it's more and more and more, and I'm like. Man, so I've uh, so I've changed my habit, and the fact that instead of buying like I used to, or going out and eating and or buying uh, from the fast food restaurants, I'm now stocking my truck up like a lot of drivers have been doing. But I just never thought anything about it because I don't have kids, I don't have you know family. It's just me, you know. My wife works, so she pays her bills and stuff, and I just I'm just. Uh, <laughs> i right. a lot more careful, and I just, you know, just, it's ridiculous. I mean, I used to get, like, uh, at the store, you mm-hmm. get two bottles of Gatorade for $3. It's now 5 almost $6 for two I know. bottles of Gatorade. And
2: and I the just, other thing, too, Robert, you got to look out for, and thank you. Thank you for sharing. I, I think the other thing you have to look out for that we don't, and they've been doing this for a while, but it's really stepped up, is they downsize. So you think you're buying a pound of something, and you get it home, and you find out, oh, it's not a pound, <coughs> excuse me. It's not a pound, especially. And if you have a recipe that calls for a pound of something, now you've got to buy two of whatever it is and then figure out how much a pound is. You've got to weigh it, whatever you have to do in order to figure out that it really is a pound because that's another way they're doing it. They didn't raise the price as much. They raised it only a little bit. You're like, wow, this is still affordable until you get it home and then find out that, um, oh no. It's, it's not what I thought it was. It's not a pound. It's it's just crazy. I the, Looking at the prices and I just shake my head and, you know, my husband and I have this discussion. Well, do we buy stuff now? Do we stockpile it now? Because if the prices are only going to go up. And at least if we stockpile it now, we got it at a good price, you know, as opposed to down the road where we may be shaking our heads going, well, we just can't buy that now. You know, those are all the decisions we're all having to make. I'm Mary Walter, and you are listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show.